Thanks for joining Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Amalgamated, and Matthew Fairburn covers the bills for The Athletic. And um, a couple of big games for Buffalo football this weekend. UB football is playing in the MAC championship game against Ball State, and uh, the Bills are off at Denver on Saturday to play the Broncos, and uh, a victory, well, some other things could happen even if the Bills don't win, but a victory over the Broncos clinches the AFC East title for the Bills, and it would be their first division crown since 1995. Uh, I think I'm actually more interested in the UB game than I am uh, the Bills game. Uh, I don't know, just because I think it's a, a neat story. The Bills are going to win the division eventually. The Broncos aren't all that great. I don't know. The Bills game is wholly uninteresting. There's, they can clinch the division, and that's interesting in, from a global perspective, but the game is only interesting if the Broncos win, and I don't think there's any chance of that happening. Even that isn't that interesting. Um, it's interesting you, for what it might say about the Bills if they lay an egg there, but yeah. But even then, would in a couple of weeks if they win a couple of games, you know, how many people are saying that they're not they're not built for it? I mean, I don't know. It, it would be mildly interesting. It would raise some eyebrows, but it would hardly be um, you know this indictment. I don't think uh, you know. There's I always kind of measure these games and like how much can I learn. You know, what, what's left to learn about the Bills? And at, at this point, it feels like there's nothing left to learn until we get to the playoffs. It's a T-shirt and cap game, though, for both teams, for both Buffalo teams. As they say, they talk about how a big, what a big deal it is for to have a T-shirt and a cap. Was that a which I always thought was stupid, but you hear some very respected players talk about, like, it's a, t- it's a T-shirt, you know, like, I guess we also see people fight over these well, t-shirts when it's they a come t-shirt. out of the t-shirt cannon at a, at a Bison's game. But It's not just any t-shirt, though. I mean, I wanted to say it's a t-shirt you can't buy, but fans can probably buy the same t-shirt. But if you're <laughs> a player, you can't just go buy that shirt if you want it. you got to go on the field and win it. And as it relates to UB, you know, they've had a lot of success over the past few years. Ten wins a couple years ago. Last year, the first bowl victory. They're ranked for the first time. All these records Jared Patterson has set. They've reached heights you know, the top of them, not at the top of the mountain, but they've gotten higher up the mountain than UB football has ever been. But this program under Lance Lightbold and these players hasn't won the Mac yet. They lost in the championship game two years ago. And Jared Patterson called this the missing piece. And it really is. If they, they lose this game, then they're looking at like Ohio university is under Frank Solich, a team that's been very good in the Mac all these years, but doesn't win the Mac. They don't win the championship game. It's similar to the Bills if they lose another playoff game. That hangs over, that cloud hangs over all the successes you do have if there's something, if there's a yeah, but. Yeah, but you can't win the championship game. So this is a big game. I think there's a lot of pressure on UB to actually deliver this championship, but they've been so good, so much better than the rest of the MAC. They're favored by 12 points. All State's one of their best players. Their running back isn't going to play in the game. He's already leaving to prepare for the NFL. It just it would be a shock if Buffalo loses, but it would be similar to when these two teams played in the championship game 12 years ago. Ball State was undefeated. I think they were ranked 12th in the country, and they were favored by even more than 12 points. I think it was like 15 or 16 points, and Buffalo won that game. That was a big surprising result for almost everybody except that Buffalo team itself. 
And this would be the reverse of that, I think, if Ball State were to beat UB tomorrow night. What are some of the matchups, Jonah? You mentioned uh, Ball State's running back uh, not being available, but how do, how do they match up in other parts of the game? You know, I haven't really scouted Ball State like Gerald would have. I, and with this UB team, they've just well, been so I mean, more, I mean, you, on the ground. You know the rankings, you know the strengths and, and that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you got me off the top of my head. I don't really know the rankings for Ball State. I haven't really scouted. They haven't, the UB hasn't played any of these Western teams since they played uh, Northern Illinois in the first game. And I really wasn't looking at who was a good matchup for them because the way UB has been playing, you think they can beat anybody. And if they can't, it's because they're unable to do what they've been able to do running the football and they get forced into a passing game that isn't their strength or they're not able to take advantage of the openings in the passing game. And if that were to happen, if they were to have some uncharacteristic turnovers, they really haven't been turning the ball over at all, then Ball State can win this game. But I just don't see Ball State. They've won five in a row. They came back in a wild finish to beat Western Michigan last year, but they weren't really the team that was expected to come out of that division into the championship game. It would be surprising. It would be surprising if Ball State wins the game. It would be really surprising if Ball State goes out there and it can exploit some sort of mismatch and, and maybe be the better team. I think if they win, it would be because they get a lot of turnovers and some lucky plays and UB loses the game more than Ball State wins it. I think what Joan is saying is Ball State University might as well be Ball So Hard University. Yeah. It doesn't matter who UB plays the way they're rolling. The way they're playing. It might be electoral college. They're leading the country in scoring. They're leading the country in rushing offense. They're leading the country in yards per play. They, you know, Jared Patterson is a Heisman Trophy. I don't want to say a candidate, but somebody people are talking about for the Heisman Trophy. But then you go to the second running back. Kevin Marks had more yards than him last week, higher yards per carry. And you go down third, fourth, fifth, sixth on the depth chart, the walk-on running back, Tajay Ahmed. He runs for 44-yard touchdown in his first carry. It almost yeah, it's one like of the, it doesn't matter who they give the ball to. Right. It's like you, you want to throw in a wrinkle and say, you know, the only way UB loses this game if Jarrett Patterson turns his ankle uh, on the first series. Well, even if that happens, it doesn't matter. They'll just yeah. throw somebody else out there, well, reload. And you could say the same thing about it. I hear a lot of, oh, is Jarrett Patterson going to come back? Sure hopes he comes back. How good can this team be if he comes back for one more year? And I don't want to say UB won't miss Jared Patterson, but I think they'll still be a strong running offense and be fine without him. They're better with him, but he's not the player that's – he's not going to be as hard to replace as some of these other senior starters they have coming into next season. Uh, the Bills are favored uh, by six points uh, as we record this. They opened as five-point favorites. Went down to four, actually. Money was coming in on Denver, but uh, back to six, six-and-a-half – at a couple of spots, we're going to talk about that with Joel Staniszewski. Uh, but it seems as though the Bills should win this game. But it is Denver. You know, it's a it's a strange. Could this be a um, a let up game for the Bills uh, after facing the Steelers on on uh, Sunday Night Football? But this is another national TV game. It's. Uh, I think the Bills are on. I think the Bills are playing sharp. I think that Josh Allen has taken a business-like mentality um, for the last couple of weeks, and it seems to have they seem to have found a, a groove uh, that I'm sure Sean McDermott has has uh, funneled them into. Uh, they seem to be of uh, of a uh, strong mind regarding. Uh, the mission that they're pursuing. 
Well, they got something to play for, right? They've got division title on the line. They've got playoff spot on the line. So as far as the letdown, I think it's a little late in the season for that. It's a little, there's too much at stake, um, you know, for a letdown or a slip up. This doesn't, doesn't seem like it's in this team to really have one of those, especially in December, but you know, a week or two ago, I would have said, well, that Denver game looks a little sneaky. You're traveling. Um, you know, the Denver's defense can be a tricky defense to figure out. Vic Fangio's, uh, you know, got a, a good scheme. They've got some good players on that side of the ball, but they have three healthy cornerbacks in this game. Like, they're just so beat up on defense. And to me, Drew Locke against the Bills secondary – looks like a, a big mismatch in favor of the Bills. Uh, not that Drew Locke hasn't had his moments because he has. He had a huge game last week against Carolina. But quarterback like Drew Locke that's still figuring things out against the secondary that's made much more experienced quarterbacks very frustrated over the last couple of months just seems like it could, could be a, a tough day uh, for the young Mizzou kid. And not to keep uh, speaking in betting terms for all analysis for the Bills, but here's uh, where confidence is regarding a team that people just aren't used to being so confident about or assuming that they're just going to win. This is the fifth time this year that the Bills are, rank, or, uh, are favored on the road. Uh, they were f- favored five times over the last three years combined on the road. Last year, they were favored only twice, zero times in 2018, three times in 2017. Uh, You have to go back to 1999 to find uh, when the Bills were uh, favored uh, five times on the road. They will be favored, uh, and we'll talk about this with Joel Staniszewski later in the podcast, but uh, they'll be favored again next week at New England, uh, strange as that may sound. Uh, so six times favored on the road, 1992. You have to go all the way back that far. Uh, so when weren't pub- they favored? Uh, public confidence high. Uh, they were not favored against Arizona or San Francisco. So they were favored against the Titans then? They were, yes. I think by, I want to say it was even by three. That was um, a weird uh I guess weird because the, for Titans the Titans had half the guys inactive and all that stuff. Yeah. The Titans were kind of, yeah. The Titans were very, had a lot of volatility with their roster at that point. You didn't know if they were going to play or not. And so I'm sure that that factored into it. Vegas didn't account for the uh, galvanizing factor. No, missed, the models missed that. You can, you can't, uh, you can't gauge heart. You can't evaluate heart. That's right. Combine uh, combine can't do that either. Should we start right, stop saying Vegas when we talk about point spreads like that? Because there's a Vegas team now. Because you could be like, well, Vegas thinks That's Vegas true. can win on Sunday. I did That's have that point. come up in, in my story last week. or not As I was writing it, I had to rephrase it because I, it could have been construed as the Las Vegas Raiders. So, yes, I have to be careful when I say that. And it's not just Las Vegas anymore because you can do this anywhere. Yep. So – London, you know, that's uh, William Hill. I don't know wherever William Hill's based out of. Cayman Islands. Right. DraftKings. DraftKings loves the Bills this week. You know, they actually, 
the governor brought up uh, the potential for online wagering to come to New York State this week for the first time. First time he's even uttered the words uh, in a press conference. So it's progress. I like the sound of that. It's progress. It's not, I don't know, I was reading some things from, there's some people stumping pretty hard for it, apparently, in Albany. Um, they're not overly optimistic, but, you know, that was sort of the, the phrasing they used was that he's, the words have never even left his mouth in a public setting before. So it's, uh, look, we're going to have a budget to fix. And what I'm saying is I'm willing to, to help. I will, I will <laughs> supplement this, this budget with my terrible picks. I'm up and volunteering. Well, you can just bet only Joel Staniszewski uh, because he is 22-14-3 and three on the season. And uh, have been you, doing that from the start. You can expect, uh, you can expect some more bonus picks uh, coming from Joel uh, later on in the show. Uh, hey, uh, I should uh, let everyone know that this show would not be possible if not for the good folks at CTBK. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst. And CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces for a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. Grab a pen, 716-630-2400. Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Boys, uh, enjoy uh, the weekend. People out there listening, uh, enjoy uh, UB foosball and uh, the Bills well, on thing, Saturday. If the Bills game on Saturday, if you get bored with it, 6 o'clock UB basketball plays at Syracuse. It's on the ACC network. I, I don't know if Ooh. UB has quite the chance to win that game that, that they did two years ago when they won there. But, you know, maybe something to click over to if the Bills game is uninteresting. You know, it's hard to say uh, really where everything stands right now. Who, who knows how good UB is and who knows how good Syracuse is. Well, UB is coming off a big win and Syracuse hasn't been great. But Syracuse, I think, is going to be favored by – a decent number in that game. And that game is at Syracuse. Yep. Which and All Syracuse right. doesn't lose non-conference games at home, except two years ago they lost to UB. When UB was a top twenty-five team. Well, I think UB is still sorting itself out. Uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll see a scrappy performance. Didn't expect them to beat West Virginia a couple of years ago, and they pulled that off. Well, and didn't expect them to beat Miami by twenty-eight the other night. They played a very good game. And if they play like that again, then yeah, maybe they do have a chance. Nobody expected Mizzou to beat Illinois last week. And yet. It's true. Except for are. one, I know one guy that expected Mizzou to beat Illinois. UB athletic director, Mark Allnut. That's right. He's a good Mizzou man. Mizzou's ranked. They're dangerous. Hopefully they finish the season. So that'd be nice. We need basketball. As we've be, uh, discussed Mizzou, on the show. Mizzou's before. ranked in, in, Football and basketball, right? Yeah. Football, I don't know if they still are because they got just uh, destroyed by Georgia. Defenestrated, if you will. Just, it was, it was tough. 
boat raced. <laughs> they got just pistol whipped. It was ugly. <laughs> Kneecapped. <laughs> it was a bad one. They were looking good for a while. I was I was kind of, you know, getting my hopes up and then Georgia just ran away with it. All in all, pretty good year for, for Mizzou football. Uh, who cares? It wasn't a real year anyways. Uh, I'm sure they would have beaten Baldwin Wallace. Yeah. I don't know. C- catch them on the right day. Mizzou had a lot of, a lot of COVID problems this year um, on their football team, but hopefully the basketball team steers clear of it because they look like a promising, promising crew. Good times. Good times are had by some. All right. Moving along. Thank you for joining Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK. The crew is all back. I am Tim Graham of the athletic here with Jonah Bronstein of the Bronstein and Bronstein firm with Matthew Fairburn, also the athletic. And as he joins us every week, former Bill Scout, Gerald Dixon. Uh, we, uh, we do a lot of uh, shit talking uh, before we hit the record button. And uh, we, should, uh, we should record that. Although if we knew we were being recorded, we, we'd probably dial it back a little bit. But we're generally four transparent guys. Gerald, uh, what's on your mind today? A lot, Ben. I just finished watching a great game on, on Sunday, watching the Bills take apart the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, what else is on your mind, though? You always have thoughts percolating. What's, uh, what else about the NFL before we get into the Bills and what we saw against the Steelers and maybe taking a look at, at Saturday against the Broncos? Well, the new topic that, I, that I've really gotten interested in is this MVP conversation with all the quarterbacks. But I think a dark horse that I don't, I don't really hear much or many people talking about is Derrick Henry and what he's doing down there in Tennessee. Because for a long time you heard Russell out there on the West Coast cooking. Aaron Rodgers has been Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, their team's real good and he's been steady. But Derrick Henry's just been putting up 200 yards games and I mean, that's not the norm running backs and his team just steady along just putting away and i think not because this is a buffalo centric podcast but you need to include josh allen in that conversation now too he's playing well enough but buffalo has turned into that sexy team and we talked about it last week that just beating the steelers uh even though we knew going into that game that the steelers were vulnerable that the bills probably were going to win it but we discuss the whole thing about the nation taking a look at a primetime victory over the, the Steelers really vaulting the bills into that conversation of Super Bowl contenders. Um, and, and Josh Allen is, is at the forefront of that. Um, so, and a lot of times with these votes, it's who's hottest at the end of the season too. Uh, you know, like you say, Russell Wilson, People aren't talking about Russell Wilson like they were the first six, seven weeks of the season when it was almost, uh, you know, fait accompli that that he was going to be the MVP. But now, uh, you know, Josh Allen's getting a lot of uh, a lot of run. Right, and that's well deserved. I mean, the guy's playing lights out. 
I mean, look at Josh Allen in the past, old Josh. Uh, the first half that, that he was having against Pittsburgh, he would have allowed that to go on to the second half and to just continue. But he came out after halftime, found his groove, started throwing the ball to Steph Diggs, and Pittsburgh is just get out the way. You saw another defensive coordinator over there with his arms folded, um, throwing a kitchen sink at the guy, and he wasn't even phased. And whenever I look at Josh and his, the first thing I typically look at to, to understand that he's having a good game or he is in the zone, to say, is his feet. When his feet are all over the place, he's, that's when he's a truly inaccurate quarterback. But on Sunday night, I mean, again, two weeks in a row, feet calm, um, eyes manipulating coverage. You even saw when he threw that shoulder shake at the guy um, in the corner and threw a laser. But the the violence comes with his arm. When he just comes over the top, you can, you, I mean, it almost, people always say you can hear a football being whistling. Well, I've heard that from Josh. And you can hear just the velocity of the ball and just how this violent his torso is when he rips the ball. So Josh is on a whole nother level right now. MVP conversation, he's in it. Um, if he's not two, he's three. Some people might have him at one. Still three games to go, and of course he's going to need to finish strong for uh, for him to make that a, a reality. And um, really only a couple of games because I could see the Bills not using their starters much against Miami in the in the regular season finale on January 3rd. Uh, the Bills might have it wrapped up by then. Um, actually, let, what's the breakdown right now as it stands regarding the playoff spots? I know, Matt, you're, you're on top of that. In terms they can of- win the division if they win this weekend. Well, that yeah, that uh, I was aware of. But what so about seedings and as far as and all that seedings stuff? go, they're most likely to get the number three seed right now, but they still have a shot at the number two seed. It comes down to if the Steelers keep – losing uh, if they continue this tailspin but that won't happen likely this weekend again they're playing the Bengals on Monday night football uh and then you know at that point you're kind of banking on maybe the the Chiefs slipping up if you want to climb but I, I think really it's the Steelers that the Bills are focused on and they do have to play the Colts um and the Browns after the Bengals so that could be in play but then it's about holding off the Titans and or the Colts, whoever it may be that wins the South and hanging on to that three spot. Cause I think that'll be a pretty important spot. There's a, I would say there's a, a better than average chance that they're locked into three going into week 17, maybe with a fractional chance to move up to two. And then it, you have the debate of how much is it worth fighting for the two seed versus the risk of, of injuring your guys. But I would expect that that won't mean anything for the division by then. Yeah, you're kind of gambling. Uh, you're you're risking some potential uh, injury or whatever uh, in the hopes of resting your guys for a week. And if you don't pull not that even, off, then not you're even because the the two seats playing on Wild Card Weekend as well. It's oh, just that's, yeah, you're right. That that's right. So that's right. You're playing for a matchup that, frankly, may or may not happen. You know you're playing a guessing game, right? You're saying, Oh, I, you know, you want the two seed two or three, you're avoiding the chiefs in round one. So, but you get uh, home field in the second round. That's what you're playing for. Yeah. Home field in the second round, but without, you know, fans in the stands might be, you know, 
like I said, it's not an inconsequential thing to get the number two seed. It's certainly something they should be gunning for. But, you know, at the risk of, you know, is it going to even be a better matchup, right? You don't know that. Like, the Ravens could end up in the seven hole. You just don't know who's going to be waiting on the other end. But I don't know. I think it'll probably depend if the Steelers lose to the Colts. Um, not this week, but but next week, because that'll put it in play and give the Bills a little bit more something to, to play for in the finale. So, Gerald, as a scout, uh, what do you think of Derrick Henry's impact on how Offensive coordinators look at that position. Do you think it's having a, uh, I don't want to say a a renaissance because it's just one guy, but could it lead to offensive coordinators taking a look at this and saying, you know what, we can do some things with the running back that, um, that over the, over years have kind of been undone that position and, and has been lessened in value and, and which is funny to say because the Bills are just now becoming a pass first team when they're everybody's been waiting for them to catch up with the rest of the league. Right. No, I, I think that whole running back being so important to an offense is I think those days are gone. The rule changes with pass interference and the passing game being so complex and it's almost a handoff now is and, and throwing a, a screen pass on the perimeters is the same thing. So the longevity of a guy of, of a guy that you're going to pay so much money to and 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 draft in the top of the first, you can still get that same value. You can look at it now in the, in the third or fourth round. The last or, running back to win or MVP. undrafted, correct? There's so yeah, many. Like, there there are great undrafted running backs in the NFL all the time. The kid in Jacksonville this year is went undrafted and is having a phenomenal year. Uh, the last running back to win MVP, 2012, Adrian Peterson. Before that, it was LT in 2006, Sean Alexander the year before that in 2005, then Marshall Falk in 2000. Those are the only, those are the only non-quarterbacks to win MVP, um, and they were all running backs. I don't know. I was the reason I pulled this up is I was trying to look up. I was throwing this around in our Slack chat during the game, Tim, but if you bring up Derrick Henry in the MVP conversation, where does Stephon Diggs land? You know, how, how close is Stephon Diggs to being the most valuable player on this Bills team? I don't think uh, a receiver's ever been named MVP. 1990, um, Jerry, Jerry Rice. Shepherd. Okay. Jerry Rice got it twice, it looks like. and He might have been... The only one to, he's the only one to ever do it. So I guess there you have it. But he's, you know, Stefan Diggs is not having a Jerry Rice season. Uh, normally, one of those great receiver seasons ends with a quarterback also having a terrific season. So uh, hard to have one without the other. But Stephon well, the conversation had, with Josh Allen, though, Matt, has been it's Stefan Diggs is the one that's brought him to this next level. So if you want to have that conversation of what Josh Allen's doing, can he do it? Would he be doing it without if it were just John Brown and Cole Beasley again? Probably well, not. We, yeah, we've, we've seen evidence of it, right? Evidence says no. And with Steph Diggs, it's a different confidence level that you see Josh play with. Like, he knows at, at any point Steph's going to get open. I can stare him down. I can do whatever I want. He's going to create enough space, catch the ball, and do something with it afterwards. 
But, I mean, if you're looking at it and saying, what's a sexy pick? It's going to be the quarterback, right? Because everybody looks at the quarterback and says, oh, wow. But if you break it down and you truly look at the importance of the player to the team, which is the most valuable player to the team, you'd have to say it's Steph Diggs, in my opinion. Well, it's also even... oh, go ahead, like the conversation around the Heisman Trophy here with Buffalo's Jared Patterson. He's not going to win the Heisman, and he probably really shouldn't be the number one person on anybody's ballot, I would say, because of the level of competition and quarterbacks probably being more valuable. But is he in the conversation, and should he be lower on somebody's ballot? And I think whether it's Derrick Henry, Stephon Diggs, or any of these players we're talking about, are they having MVP caliber seasons is a little different than if they're actually going to win the MVP like some of these, like Adrian Peterson or some of those guys did before. The voting, the, the media that vote on this, it can be a very simple-minded kind of approach. It's find the best quarterback that's having the best season on the best team. And frankly, most of the time that's accurate. This year it's probably accurate. Patrick Mahomes is more valuable to the Chiefs than Derrick Henry is to the Titans, uh, I would say. Take Patrick Mahomes out of the lineup, and that's a different team. The Titans are actually one of the most efficient passing offenses in football this year. Um, from an efficiency standpoint, I think Ryan Tannehill gets kind of a, a tough deal there sometimes. So I don't know. You take Patrick Mahomes up. The other weird thing about the award to me, same thing with coach of the year. Frankly, any time Patrick Mahomes plays 16 games, he should win it. But eventually we're going to get sick of, you know, voting him in. Same with coach of the year. How many years could Belichick have won it? Uh, but people Every just kind of got people got sick of voting for him. People got people would rather vote for who's overachieving and who's coaching that team. Right. And I'll vote the for that coach guy. Of the He's year coach award, of the year. The coach of the year award is essentially more years than not the guy who made the most improvement. You know, it's, it's a lot of times it's a newer coach, sometimes even a first year head coach. Uh, and what improvement did he make to the team's record? Um, go back to when I was covering the dolphins and the conversation was, uh, who's going to win uh, Tony Sperano or uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, the guy from the Atlanta Falcons, uh, white hair, uh, Mike Smith, Mike Smith, Mike Smith, right. Uh, Mike Smith ended up winning it. I think that year he did. just because of their turnarounds dolphins going from one and 15 to 11 and five or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, it's the improvement. That's why somebody like Sean McDermott, Probably wouldn't win, although, although. He might. He's he a, should he, win it. I think Sean should win it. My vote, if I had a vote, was Sean. But, Matt, you know what? Usually I don't disagree with you much, but I, 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 could, I have to disagree with you with the Patrick Mahomes, Derrick Henry importance to the team. Um, my opinion is that if you remove Patrick Mahomes from the team and you stick him with Alex Smith, you're still a 12-4 and four team because they're so loaded um, talent-wise around. Alex Smith now? Because Alex Smith is pretty lousy now. He's Alex, so Alex Smith wasn't that great when he was in Kansas City. He was just steady, check the ball down, and put the ha- put it in the hands of the playmakers. I'm saying you you get an average quarterback in Kansas City right now. That's an eleven and five team. Period. You got the best tight end, one of the best deep threat receivers, one of the better play callers. Offensive line is steady. I mean, the, the first overall pick is your left tackle. The right tackle never gets enough credit for how good he is. Uh, and we haven't touched on Hardman or Sammy Watkins yet. All right. You take you take my man Shaka Zulu away from the Tennessee Titans. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I've seen Alex. I mean, Tannehill. Um, in Miami, I've seen what that is, and I've seen when Derrick Henry's running the ball, and you are forced to have eight, nine in the box, and you have Corey Davis and AJ Brown running down the field, getting wide open balls. So I think he's a little bit more important to that team's overall, um, the way that their culture and the way they attack the game, than Patrick Mahomes is to the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not sure anybody's as important as Mahomes, but I I do think that the way he takes them from they were that ten and six, eleven and five before twelve he got and four, there. Twelve, twelve and four, and four before yeah. he got there with Alex Smith, who was playing fairly well, but they were never even sniffing the Super Bowl. They were never even a team that you considered a threat in the playoffs because of Alex Smith. I think the best, you know, Patrick Mahomes is playing at a level right now that we haven't seen at that position all that often, um, you know, over the last 20 years or so. So I don't know, but I, you know, Derrick Henry, take him out of there. They're not as effective a play action team. Most likely they're um, probably leaning more on the, more on the pass and it makes it a little less efficient than it is right now. So um, I definitely, I, I do like the the diversity of thought, to have Derrick Henry in the mix, I like it because it's too too often um, a one one track mind with a lot of people talking about this award. And I do agree with you. I mean, as long as Patrick Mahomes is playing at this level, you should go ahead and just mail it in every year and send it to his house. Just like LeBron James, since he's been in the uh, NBA, send it to his house. When Michael Jordan was doing it, send it to his house. When Kobe Bryant was at his peak, just, just hand it over to him. Nick Saban should be coach of the year every single year. Um, that he's been in there, maybe with the exception of a couple. So I, 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 I don't disagree with you. I just, I just, I'm. It's just this is a year that I think we should all look at it a little bit different. Just like the Heisman Trophy um, winner this year should be the receiver for the Alabama Crimson Tide, not the quarterback. I disagree with you about LeBron. I don't know if we want to digress there, but <laughs> I don't think he's had he's had MVP caliber seasons, but I don't think he's been the MVP in five years. Wow, regular season. Hey, wow. let me put a button in the uh, MVP uh, Coach of the Year conversation, at least as it pertains to the Bills, and then we can get into that uh, uh, regarding uh, LeBron James. But uh, as I was saying before regarding the mindset of the Coach of the Year going to the guy who's turned around uh, a bad team uh, in the short amount of time, I do think that Sean McDermott does have a chance of winning Coach of the Year because of the perception because it's, it's voted on nationally. And even though the Bills have gone to the playoffs two of the past three years, there's still this uh, – they never got the attention, even last year heading into the playoffs, even, even after clinching their spot um, with a couple of games to play, that they're getting now. I think there are a lot of people that are just now saying, wait, what's going on in Buffalo? Uh, because they have – they're conditioned not to think of Buffalo. And now that the Patriots are not at the top of the division and the Bills are about to clinch their first division title since 1995, I think there's kind of a, um, a revelation or an epiphany uh, with, some, uh, with a lot of voters out there that, holy smokes, um, Sean McDermott's done a really good job. And so maybe he does get enough run uh, in that regard. And Josh Allen, similarly. So it's kind of a, a different... A distorted view of the same concept of a guy who's turned it around. At least he hasn't 
as because we know he hasn't really just turned it around this year, but I think in the minds of a lot of voters who don't pay attention to what's going on in, in markets like Buffalo, it's going to feel to them as though he's it's just been turned around. Yeah, he'll get credit for it's almost like a delayed, you know, reward. Like he gets credit for the rebuild. He gets credit for the whole it's coach of this year, but he gets credit for all the years, the turnaround, the build. And he was a finalist last year. We should He was. So he's nobody yeah, thought he was going to win it. I think a, a big thing I would think about with that award to me, and there's, you know, Kevin Stefanski is going to be another guy that that people like because the Browns are, are playing well and uh, nobody gets the Browns to play well. So in similar uh, concept. Exactly. So that will be a big thing. Frank Reich, I think, is having another great year in Indy. Sean Payton has made things work. So he's got some competition for that award. And I think the big thing to me when looking at that award and I don't, I think the PFWA votes on it. So for whatever the PFWA coach of the year award, when I'm sitting down to look at my vote, I'm going to say, why are the bills so much better this year? You know, why are they a Super Bowl contender? Why are they a team that people are talking about? The reason is because of Josh Allen and by extension, Stefan Diggs and what the offense is doing. So, you know, how much, how much credit does, you know, it's about divvying up credit, I guess. Sean McDermott's done an absolutely fantastic job coaching this team, turning things around. Are people going to look at this as more of a Josh Allen breakout or a Bills breakout? Uh, And that'll probably determine how the votes get divvied up. And like I said, I think in a way, Sean McDermott has, Sean McDermott has more competition for coach of the year than, Josh Allen does for MVP only in that there's more coaches that you could pick for coach of the year. And it's going to get split up a lot of different ways, which could help uh, Sean McDermott in some ways. The MVP is going to be hard for Josh Allen to win because while there's only two other guys, really strong candidates, they're really, really strong candidates. And the The guy guy who deserves the most credit is, is somebody who there isn't a prominent award for. It's probably Brandon Bean. You know, the guy who I was just going to say, he he has the strongest case for his individual award out of the three, in my opinion. And it's like you said, not as prestigious an award, but it is a thing. The NFL's executive of the year award at the PFWA votes on. And to me, I can't think of somebody more deserving than Brandon Bean for that. While I can make arguments for a lot of other guys for MVP or coach of the year. I I think Brandon is a slam dunk for that one. Pulling off the, the Steph Dix trade. Um, hiring. I mean, he, he and Sean putting together a, a staff to allow Josh to be Josh, and then going out and getting the right tackle, signing your left tackle, picking up uh, your guy from the Jets, Winters at guard, going out last year and signing Feliciano to come in, paying Mitch Morris um, all that money. To, to be the best center, uh, Bean is doing an outstanding job with that and, and signing up your young talent over there at corner to make sure that it's not a problem in the building because when guys aren't getting paid, everyone wants to say, oh, no, nah, they'll get paid. It's not a problem. Now, that, that's still something that works in your head and saying, why is, I mean, he's playing at a Pro Bowl level. Why isn't he getting paid? So when it's my turn to get paid, I'm not going to get paid. So now your focus is truly off of what it should be, whether it's a game, and now it becomes focus on 
what am I getting my contract? I don't want to get hurt this year because I'm in my contract year, the Dak Prescott issue. So hats off to Bean and, and, and all those guys over there for, for doing that. Yeah, you're going to look at the Bills and you're going to say they're good because Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, mainly as when you take the zoom out big picture view. And, you know, people can poke holes in, in Brandon Bean's draft history. And we've done that from time to time, you know, questioning a pick, some picks here and there. And not every signing's been perfect. But when you look at those two big reasons why this offense and this team are so good, Brandon Bean deserves a ton of credit for both of those. I don't think those moves happen uh, without Brandon Bean. You know, the the drafting of Josh Allen was uh, a risk, a, a calculated risk that paid off. Uh, and trading for Stephon Diggs was a perfectly timed move, uh, a trade that has worked out for both teams very well. Uh, Justin Jefferson's been awesome, but they needed a, a veteran. They needed a guy that they knew could do it right away. And that was well-timed the way he's fit in. They have arguably the best receivers four deep in the NFL. I mean, to pick the quarterback and build around him, uh, like I said, I, I have a hard time looking around the NFL and saying which team has benefited more from personnel moves this offseason than the Bills have. I don't think anybody's really close unless you're ready to hand it to Chris Ballard because he went and got Phillip Rivers or something. I mean, I just don't – I don't think there's anybody really within uh, striking distance of being. All right. So I don't want to delay um, any fisticuffs uh, between Gerald and Jonah. Uh, so feel free to resume your <laughs> LeBron James conversation. Well, no, I don't need to break it all down. I, would, I just wanted to make a quick point that I don't think – that LeBron has been the MVP in any of these past five seasons. All right, so so remove the year that he was injured. Was he not the best player in the league? He might have been, but I mean, if you want to go through it, I, we could do a two-hour podcast. I could go year by year why I think he was in the right spot on every single one of these battles. I'm just saying, every year there was a player who in that regular season, either he was better or his team was better, and there's reasons why, whether it's Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, you know, anybody that's finished, Giannis Antetokounmpo, anybody that's finished ahead of LeBron in the MVP voting deserved to finish ahead. All right, so let's start back when he first came back to Cleveland from Miami. Run it through that year. Who won it that year, Stephen Curry? I'm going to be a producer. That's actually here. the closest one. Yes, That's the closest please. one. All right. That was cool. at Stephen Curry's first MVP season, which wasn't as good as his second MVP season. Right. But the Warriors won a lot more games. Stephen Curry was great that season. Right. And he was, he was the unanimous MVP the following year. What year did LeBron get to clearly back to the Cleveland? MVP? That would have been 2015, I think. Okay. Right. That's the closest one. But I don't think LeBron lifted the Cleveland Cavaliers in that regular season enough to have a bona fide NBA MVP case. He did it in the playoffs. That's the thing against LeBron in that era. He stopped doing this a little bit. He used to be in chill mode. He wouldn't play his best game for about 40, 50 games, and then he'd bring it on late in the season and in the playoffs. And that's going to cost you a regular season MVP if you are not going to try to win the MVP. Now he tries to win the MVP, and he got close last year, but he might not have even been the best player on his team. All right, great point. So let's get back to the, the, the time that we're talking about, 15. Yeah, 2014, 2015, Steph 
Curry won it. 2015-2016, Steph Curry won it again. 2016-2017, it was Russell Westbrook. 2017-2018 uh, was James Harden. And then the last two have gone to Giannis. Yeah. All right. uh, so LeBron has four total MVPs. Here's a trivia question. Who do you, who do you think – which number is higher, LeBron James's MVPs or Bill Belichick's Coach of the Year awards? I would say LeBron's. LeBron has four. Belichick has three. LeBron right. has not won one since 2012-2013 when he was with the Heat. He won two with the Heat. So let me let me get at Jonah real quick. All right. So Jonah, we both said the MVP is the most valuable player on that team, right? Remove yeah. LeBron James from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Tell me where they picked. You mean before that? Well, yeah. No, no, that that year, that that the year that LeBron was in Miami. Yeah, number one. Be, number okay, one. good. But they weren't the worst team in the league. They won the lottery. So they won the lottery. So they're one of the worst teams in the league. They didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, they were young. Okay, good. Yeah. All right, check it. Hold on. So he comes back that same year. What happens? They're second in the East, fifth best record in the league. Tell so me what happened. Taken, so tell me what happened in June. Florida. No, tell me what happened in June. They Where lost was he doing? Lost in the finals. And the year after that, what was he doing? In the finals again. Winning in the right. finals. All right, he so, won finals MVP. Right. So let's skip all the way to – to to the year that he goes to the Lakers, where are the Cleveland Cavaliers picking? At the end of the first round. They... Lottery All again. Right. So he's Lottery. very valuable to the city of Cleveland. And no, he's no, he's valuable to his team. And the in the in the award is the most valuable player on your team. When he shows up, you're in the finals. When he leaves you're picking in the lottery, most likely the first overall pick. Cleveland's had that three times when he left and wasn't there, right? Lakers were picking it. Like Lonzo Ball was the second overall pick, wasn't he? LeBron didn't show up yet. He shows up, rings. So how can you, year in and year out, not give the award to the guy that plays in the finals, not the playoffs, in the finals? Well, it's a regular season award. I think that's what ends up becoming uh, an issue in basketball. The reason he probably doesn't have more of them is because he's got four finals MVPs as right. well. Because um, he can – yeah, he's going to crank it up. He's going to get your team to the playoffs, and he's going to carry you once once he gets there. But where is he finishing? Where is this team finishing? This team is finishing in the top, what, two? Yeah, most of the time. But. So it and to Jonah's point, there's probably guys that are putting together it's it's the classic MVP debate debate, regardless of sport, right? Is you know, remove a guy from a team and what is that team? Maybe that's the the measure of most valuable. Oftentimes it becomes a, you know, who had the most productive season on the best team. Um and yeah, he has occasionally limited his workload and you um, should give it to the best player in the league. And LeBron's been the best player in the league for a long time. He sure has. Like, that, like, like them giving the Greek freak there. this award two years in a row is a complete joke. It's laughable to me. He's a pretty good player. What, you talking about the, the guy that like Euro steps on the field last year? The Euro step guy that goes to the, um, the basket and dunks it and gets in the playoffs and you don't even hear about him? You, the, the playoffs still counts as basketball last time I checked, right? It's different basketball. That's why I think it's a little bit different. And I sort of wish the MVP was voted on later in the season, maybe going into the finals or including playoffs, because the game does change 
in the postseason. But at the end of the regular season, which is when these people have to vote, they even had to vote before the bubble started this year. I mean, you just can't deny what Giannis Antetokounmpo did and his team having a much better record and not having a player like Anthony Davis as his teammate. So, all right, so what, what you're saying also is LeBron, the last two years, LeBron played 67 games last year. He played 55 games the year before. So that's kind of hard to, kind of hard to give the MVP award to a guy who played 55 games. Anthony uh, Davis led the team in scoring and assists and steals and blocks. No, scoring and rebounds, not assists. And when LeBron actually did play a lot when he was in Cleveland, but since he's got to – It's only uh, been two years. Since he's got to the Lakers, he just hasn't played a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's been two years. Games. 55 games is almost, I mean, that's barely over half a season. So, like, you're, you can't give the MVP award to a guy who played half the year when it's a regular season award. When you're voting on it before the playoffs start, obviously if it's a who do I want on my team the most uh, come June, yeah, it's LeBron every time. But Come any time in a year, would you ever want Giannis over LeBron at any point? Well, when LeBron's – taking his maintenance days I, I guess i'd rather have you yeah. but like, so when a guy doesn't show up to work you rather have the, the, the guy well, i guess it's kind of the fun of the award right is like you want to see who's producing and you know kind of reward the the guys who are producing it's not a fault of lebron that he saves his body for the most important time of year but if it was just let's vote on the best player in the league every year even if he's not playing then it's uh that's what the award is award. Patrick Mahomes is getting that award because he's the best player in the league. The most valuable player to their team is either. Giannis Antetokounmpo might be the best player in the league. He had the greatest statistical season. You can argue that nobody has ever done what he did statistically last year. For the team with the best record, they outscored people by like 15 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor. He played kind of limited minutes, so his numbers are even less than they really should be. He was the defensive player of the year, the best two-way player in the league. I mean, I agree. In the playoffs, if they met in the finals, I'd rather have LeBron on my team than Giannis Antetokounmpo because he's a limited perimeter shooter and you can game plan against him in the fourth quarter. But for 82 games in the regular season, I have no quarrel with him winning the MVP. Jonah, you just said he's, he's one of the better players in the NBA, which he is. But I, I would disagree with you when you say he's the best player. I, I, because, I think Kevin Durant is the best player in the NBA, notwithstanding his injury. But if he gets back to that level, he's better than LeBron James. Yes. Uh, that's a whole nother argument. But we'll, let's finish this Giannis one being the best player. Well, I, I, mean, say, I want to interject this just for a point. Go ahead. Uh, Gerald, what would your thought uh, the year that Peyton Manning was hurt with the Colts and they went 1-15 or whatever it was? Uh, there were some people saying that uh, that Peyton Manning deserved to be the MVP that year, even though he didn't play, because it showed how important he was to the Colts. No, now if you would now you put him back on the Colts and they go fourteen and two, and another guy goes thirteen and three. Yeah, you understand the importance of Peyton Manning. All I'm saying is, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, when those guys were when they're in their primes, like, there aren't many players that you should give the award to. Just like Kobe Bryant, when Steve Nash got it all those years, it was a joke. Jonah, the NBA looks foolish when you give the award to a guy that can't get out of the first round. When you sit here and you tell me that Giannis is one of the better basketball players in the NBA and you get to the most important time during the year, which is the playoffs, and they basically start game planning for you and you can't do anything, you're not one of the better players. You're just a real good regular season, Euro step, dunk basketball player. That's not basketball. 
Yeah, I mean, that is the LeBron great LeBron played more games than Giannis last year. That's kind of interesting. Giannis played 63 games, still won the MVP. That could have had to do with pandemic schedule. What, his skill set? Jonah, why would you? The guy gets to the playoffs every single year and looks awful. He can't shoot from the free throw line, right? Right. He struggles. He struggles playing at the perimeter, right? Right. If he can't twist, turn, do five tw- um, three sixty turns and dunk the basketball, he's a limited basketball player. Can you say that? Like, his athleticism is is freakish. Yeah, I'm not but, disagreeing with anything you're saying. But when you have to vote on the MVP at the end of the regular season and you look at the body of work in those 67, 63 regular season games, the teammates they had, what the team did, the fact that he was the MVP the year before and he was even better last season. I mean, I have I, he should have been the unanimous MVP. I don't think there was a case for any other player to be the MVP last year. So if it was close, right, and you say, okay, what did they do head-to-head? You remember that game? Milwaukee versus Lakers, head-to-head? How, how we got I embarrassed? Know, I, I actually don't think I watched that game. But I've seen games oh, I did. when Milwaukee beat the Lakers. Last year, I'm talking about when they went head-to-head and they were, they were going, one, they were going back and forth for who had the best record in the NBA. And LeBron came out there and pummeled him. Yeah, I, I kind of think I remember that. And, yeah, that's, that's a data point. I mean, LeBron was second in the MVP voting. I'm not saying he is a scrub. I, I think that's LeBron, what I don't like about MVP. I think he's getting the, the – the, the, I'm sorry to cut you off, man. I think he's getting the Belichick treatment like Michael Jordan got the, that same treatment as Kobe Bryant got the same treatment. We, we get so used to their how great they are, we take it for granted. And I think when, when someone like Giannis comes and he – spins and dunks and euro steps and does all that stuff during the regular season and everybody looks at wow look at the stats or even one of my favorite players russell westbrook um had that phenomenal year you got to really look at it and says okay there is a problem though with and i have with this I, i generally agree with your your sentiment gerald i do think that we get tired of guys you know tom brady probably deserved more mvps belichick more coach of the years all that stuff um, but, um, with LeBron, especially over the last couple of years, he takes these days off and he was, I think, he was hurt. One of the two, like, that's yeah. not a day off. He was hurt that, that, that year that he gets hurt. Like I'm not putting that in the conversation, but last year, the year before he, that, he wow. took games off last, last year that he had had in previous years, especially on defense. He really, he went for the MVP last year. He thought that he had an opportunity to win it and he tried to get it. But I can't. You can't give him the MVP if they were a non-playoff team and needed to trade for Anthony Davis to be a playoff team. The MVP of the team, I think, is Anthony Davis, as great a player as LeBron James is. Yeah, I I, I got to dis. I, I think the defensive player of the year should have been Anthony Davis, but that that team MVP and he scores more points. The team MVP goes to LeBron. Without LeBron James, right? The Lakers are the Pelicans. You can remove you can remove Anthony Davis from LeBron James, and you're still showing up in the finals. Why? We've seen it. We've without seen Anthony it. Davis, the Lakers were the Pelicans the year before. Yeah, sure. The guy was hurt in Cleveland. Was Anthony Davis in Cleveland? No, but he had good players in Cleveland. He had Kyrie Irving, Kevin. Yeah, Love. Re- yeah. Remove Kyrie and in, in, in Kevin Love. Have you ever seen LeBron James in the playoffs without those guys, in the finals without those guys? Yeah, long yeah. time ago. But you've seen it. All I'm saying is, long story short, I've seen him not win it with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, too. 
Yeah, you seen it once. You seen it once when they lost to Dallas, and then you seen him come back. Really disrespecting Delonte West here. Yeah, I, listen. <laughs> so Drunas Elgaskis. Nah, big shout out to my man Reds and Mo Bergeau. Williams. Bergeau. I mean, he took. I mean, he had the Alabama man. Alabama man was on that team too. That went to the the finals. I'm just giving you guys this. Uh, the hey, let's up. steer it back to the Bills because we got to talk about the Steelers before we get uh, even longer than we've been going here. Gotcha. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, no, not the Steelers. Let's skip the Steelers. We're we're on to on to Denver. So How about Bills, this? What if we uh, what if we skip the Broncos too? Nah. And then <laughs> what do we do? Then what is it? Who, New England. Who would you want? Uh, who should the Bills want to play in the playoffs? Is it too First early to have that playoffs? conversation? Well, let's. We see. can talk about the Broncos if you want. I can tell you who they. Sh- I, t- I can tell you who they. Who I wouldn't want to see the Bills play against because this is a bad matchup. Two teams: Tennessee Titans, Cleveland Browns. So you think Cleveland's a bad matchup? See, I I went through this this week and kind of ranked who I think is the best to the worst out of the five most likely. All right, lay it on us. Give it to me. I think the best matchup for them would be the Dolphins, just because they seem to really have their number. Um, and, you know, frankly, the Dolphins are playing a lot better, but the Bills have just pasted them. Uh, and they're a better and, team. And Josh Allen just feels real comfortable against them. Um, rookie quarterback, too, and the playoffs coming to, the Bill, coming to Buffalo, I don't think so. Um Number two, I thought best for them would be the Colts. Uh, and I didn't expect that going in when I was, you know, studying these teams and, and kind of figuring it out. But there's not one particular thing on the Colts that really terrifies you about them. They have a good defense. They can play pretty good defense. But Josh Allen's picked apart, you know, defense is just as good as that. So I don't think that's a problem. Then I had the Browns at – uh, right there in the middle of the five at number three, the Titans at number two, and the Ravens at the the top of the list. I think the Ravens are going to be a, a team that's real hot when 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 the playoffs come around. Uh, but I think those top three are in a, a, a tier of their own, and those other two are are very uh, very good matchups uh, for the Bills. But I'd, I'd love to hear your your Browns take because they were one that I kind of wrestled with uh, right. during the week. So I'm, I'm going to give you the Brown after I, I give you the, the Ravens. Here's why I don't believe the Ravens are, are truly a matchup issue for the Buffalo Bills. They don't score enough points. And as good as that defense is, playing man-to-man coverage all day against Josh Allen, that can extend plays. And other than Judon, I don't see a top pass rusher that can affect Josh Allen. They got your Maryland boy. Yeah, Jack Ngakwe. I mean, Ngakwe is, is good, but I haven't heard, I haven't seen much out of him since he's been in Baltimore. And I'm not saying that he's playing bad, but a good combination of those two guys is fine. I, I'm, I'm okay with those guys coming off the edge. I just don't believe they, they can score enough points to truly threaten the Bills. And even with the way that Lamar plays, I can see the Bills going up by 14 points. Just off of turnover, Josh gets hot, and I don't think the the Ravens can come back after that. My, they they, they can't throw the ball well enough. And and fifteen, the little guy that drops the ball, you put hands on him, he's done. So I don't I don't think the Ravens are that big of an issue. Now the Cleveland Browns. Here's the reason why I think they're an issue. The receiver, 
they can they have a guy that can get open and is a and is a is a dog. The offensive line is real good. They can physically manhandle the Bills up front. Their running backs is a problem. And even the quarterback can get he's playing hot right now. He's hot. He can get hot enough. And they have two tight ends. That's a problem. And it's a matchup issue for those linebackers and the safeties for the Buffalo Bills. And the way that Kevin has called it the game, this is the same way that you're going to have with Kyle Shanahan, the, the Shanahan tree, the stretch zones, the boots, the waggles. And those are the teams that I've, I've seen that give, has given Sean's defense um, a true issue. What so about Cleve- the fact that they haven't been in the playoffs in 17 years and are, don't have the recent playoff experience that the Bills have? Is that a factor in that matchup? I mean, the Bills only been there with Josh once. And I mean that was a quick in and out. So I, I don't I don't think neither I don't think experience in that in, in that way has much to do with it. I just believe matchup issues going into it. I would give thumbs up to Cleveland in terms of just being a tough matchup for the Buffalo Bills. And when it comes down to playoffs, it's like everything else. It's a matchup. Just like I think Kansas City, I don't believe wants to truly play the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs because they can give Kansas City some issues that Kansas City's truly doesn't want to address at this point. I think the Bills are high on everybody's list of teams they don't want to play. That was kind of what I took away from doing the exercise this week was that all the five teams I mentioned, the Bills should be able to beat all of them. You know, what you mentioned with the Ravens, extremely valid. It's it's like uh, the defense is probably a little scary for the Bills, but that they should be able to beat any of those teams. That's why they're going to be playing at home. That's why they're going to be the higher seed. Uh, some matchups are better than others, but I think what Tim said is, is right on that. Um, you look at it through the other lens of these other teams in the AFC and the bills are probably one of the last teams they want to see. Just think about this. The bills are playing the old school way that the bills used to play back in the nineties, like spread them out 10 personnel. You got to have four defensive backs that can truly line up and cover those guys. And I don't see Kansas City with the the ability to do that. And you never know what you're going to get out of Frank coming off the edge. You don't know if he's healthy or not. And putting pressure on Josh now becomes the way that you have to put a cap on the defense and put a cage around on the defense when you had the, the Michael Vicks and the mobile quarterbacks. But the difference is Josh is on a whole nother level right now in terms of throwing the ball accurately. So it could be a Mahomes, Josh Allen, many, many matchup for many years to come. Uh, in my opinion in the next, in this playoff run that the bills, I, I believe is going to have. Maybe it'll be the Kelly Marino of the, the 2020s. Who's the Kelly and who's the Marino? doesn't matter it's just that that these are the two guys that are going to be you. coming out of the battle and out of the afc every week i got you so they don't have so, to resemble them on the field that's for sure so whose team is the dolphins and whose team is the the Bills? i don't know it doesn't matter does it matter we'll find out. either of them won the super bowl so i guess <laughs> <laughs> no, no but no, I'm, I'm messing with you that's a that's a that's a fair comparison i like that who's the bernie coats are the the that Bernie Kozar is in, he's in Cleveland. Yeah, I know. I, I get a little bit of a Bernie vibe from Baker. They're different, but a little bit. Yeah. Well, you need the, who's the slowest quarterback in the NFL right now? Is it Phillip Rivers, maybe? 
Who is the least mobile quarterback? Ben in the Roethlisberger. <laughs> he looks like this. Tom Brady. Probably Philip. Tom Rivers, Brady. Tom Brady or Big Ben. Those are probably. Well, here's the thing with Roethlisberger. Similarly to Marino, um, they're not going to. They can't run, but that doesn't mean they're not elusive because they can't. They're not sitting ducks. Now the Bills did have a huge sack on Ben Roethlisberger on Sunday night, and the type of sack you usually don't see. Roethlisberger take where he nearly got decapitated. I think it um, registered on the on the Richter scale here in Orchard Park. And hey, yeah, Tim, and that, hit the ground. And that hey, was Tim. something that you just usually don't see Roethlisberger do. So because he can shake, he can let he can he can make a play with a guy hanging off his waist and all Still that though? stuff. Because I, I got the impression he didn't look like that guy anymore. Hey Tim, That's you know sure. you know you know that old boxer that goes out there. And still believes that he can see that jab coming and move out the way. Roy Jones. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger is looks washed up. Arm, movement, the comments after the game, the look in his eye. Like Levi, yeah. Levi Wallace was beat on that play by yes. a good two or three yards. Yes. Roethlisberger under threw that ball. Ben wound up and tried to rip it. And that rip. Just wasn't there anymore. And the that look hit. in his eye, it looks like a guy that wants to retire sooner than later. You can see it. He's, well, he, he, the other thing, too, is his receivers aren't helping him. He's a defeated quarterback because when he does throw it on the mark, they're still dropping it. So he's probably thinking, what the hell do I have to do here? He, the Steelers, or I should say Ben Roethlisberger, I wish I had. I might even have it. Hang on one second. I threw away some notes. Well, I do happen to have it. Joan, it's a young man's game, man. These young guys are taking over. These old guys look bad. This is heading into uh, last week's games. Um, On any quarterback with at least 20 attempts, uh, his 4.7 yards in the air, his passes were averaging 4.7 yards in the air, was 47th in the NFL of anybody with at least 20 attempts. That's Big Ben. And uh, I mentioned too on the Channel Four show where I pulled up this stat to use it for. It's like not that's fun size Ben. It's the little, the little candy bar that you get for for uh, Halloween because it's just uh, it's tiny. He's just doing it in dinks and dunks and a little too small. I, I don't think I don't think a lot of people took into consideration that this guy got his elbow repaired, not the left one, the one that he throws with. For an old man to come back off that injury and throw the ball all over the yard like they're doing. I don't care if it's at four, five, six, at 50 yards. I mean, you still got to ice that machine down. But if he's – all right, so he can't make the deep throw anymore, and the Steelers obviously are aware of this because his – you know, he's passing 4.7 yards in the air. Those are all his attempts, not just on certain downs or anything. That's all for the season. That's a lot of throws. Um, So if he's can't – wind up and throw it like he used to, but he's still able to dink and dunk and his receivers are dropping the ball. I would think no wonder he's, he's got that hundred yard stare going like at the end of the game. It's like, I don't even want to go back out there on the field. Uh, the Steelers weren't even calling their timeouts until very late until the two minute warning. It was just uh, that was a white flag in the whole three games in 12 days is an excuse because it sounds bad it sounds really tough, but every every NFL game is three games in 14 days. 
You right. play on a Sunday and a Sunday and a Sunday. That's three games in 14 days. So you play on a Sunday, a Sunday, and a Thursday. That's three games in what? 11 days. So, yeah. But if the Bills beat, if the, if the Steelers beat the Bills in a playoff rematch and look kind of good, we'll all look back and say that first result was tinged by the fact that the Steelers were playing in that tough stretch. I, I, I would say not, that. I think it could be used as an excuse later on if you see evidence that it had an effect. No, I, look, I just, Joan, I believe that the Pittsburgh Steelers is that record is not a true record of a real good team. I think they're above average ball club. It's an Anticumpo record. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the, with the old washed up quarterback throwing it to guys that's drops the ball at a high rate. Like Eric Ebron's always put the ball on the ground. That's just what he is. I mean, if he's your, your, your third down safety blanket, good luck. You're burning up. That that blanket ain't covering you up to get you out that fire. That's just who he is. I mean, Stop, drop, and roll. You better do something. Get they, some need work. To, they need to snap out of it. They got the Bengals this week. Like, if you can't snap out of it against the Bengals, that's the get-right game that they probably need heading into the stretch. And if they can't do it, then, yeah, they're going to have some problems. They're going to have to get healthy on defense and just win by – Bloody in people's noses in January. Hey Matt, the help's not coming on defense either. What are you going to get Vin, uh, Williams back and say, "Well, we're we're here." You still no no one can pass rush. Your cover guy, your best cover guy is Joe Aiden. Yeah, Joe hasn't been the same since he's been in Cleveland. Sutton, not the answer. Twenty eight, no sir. Your Bama guy is back there. I mean, I like Minka, but he's a free safety. Edmonds is just, he should put him in the box and play linebacker. It's to me, it's this is a bad matchup. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers, if it went down to the wire this weekend, they somebody won by a field goal. I, I'm just not impressed with that whole Pittsburgh team. And I get it, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I believe that everybody says, Oh, they're gonna come back. You know, Mike T's gonna have some encouraging words and then they come up with some type of speech, but Unless that speech can inject something in that arm of Ben's and give Eric Debron some stick em, and the rest of the, those guys some stick em to catch the football and get a whole new offensive line other than your center, good luck. All right, we need to wrap it up. And we will not have spoken about the Broncos at all. We'll leave that to Joel Staniszewski, uh, who's going to be coming up next. Um, Gerald, thanks for the variety of conversation. The pointed opinions. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. I look forward to talking baseball with you next week. I just want to get back on that Tony baseball. Gwynn story for you because I know hockey. you're waiting for it. Excuse I know you're waiting for that Tony Gwynn story. Do some hockey. Oh, hockey. <laughs> all right. I got to read my books on that one now. <laughs> They're all in French. <laughs> Gerald Dixon, thanks for joining us. Be good. The end of everything lead singer Joel Staniszewski joining us as he does every week, but under a different guise, usually not as lead singer of a hardcore metal band. Is that what it is? I mean, I always thought it was more 
metal punk or what, what, what's the, yeah, I guess hardcore is, is metal meets punk. So that sounds like a, a pretty, uh, good title, I guess. Well, the, the cool those thing about work. it is Joel's band, the end of everything, uh, was featured on a pretty prominent industry website called noecho.net. And I will uh, post a link to that, uh, when we, uh, post the podcast. And uh, the headline says, The End of Everything, Las Vegas Metallic Hardcore Band Closes Out 2020 with Debut EP with uh, comments in there from our Joel Staniszewski explaining his Buffalo roots and how it's affected uh, his, uh, his music much more so than the West Coast scene. And um, so everybody check that out. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool because uh, Joel has been kind enough to uh, send along some of his music for us to use here as bumpers uh, during the show. And it's just, uh, it's good to see Joel getting some uh, music run, not just uh, sports betting stuff. The, the two lives yeah, this Jack, man leads. Jack of all trades. <laughs> it was pretty cool. What's it like to be featured in this, uh, at this uh, website? Because uh, it's as awesome. you were telling yeah, me, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah, we've, we've had a couple of features. Um, Brooklyn Vegan did a video premiere um, no echo, which is to me is a huge, a huge accomplishment to be, to be featured on that website. And there's another site that, uh, I believe is called outburn that actually is streaming our entire EP, uh, today it started today. So it, it doesn't officially get released until tomorrow. So on, you know, tomorrow, um, all of the songs will be live on Spotify and Apple music and wherever you stream music and, uh, records and t-shirts and everything are on uh, pre-order on the labels website, which is war against records. Uh, yeah. It's just awesome. It's just a really good feeling to, to have somebody more than one, somebody like hear your band and appreciate your work and your effort and want to talk to you about stuff. So it's, it's a, it's a great honor for us. Well, congratulations on your success uh, already on this EP and, and continued success too, because let's hope it's just, Rolling right. I mean, you did, getting a, getting featured yeah. at uh, noecho.net is is not the conclusion uh, that the end Got of everything way to is go. looking for, right? Um, right, for sure. And and continued success on your picks, Joel, because you remain uh, a winner and uh, padding your margin as the season rolls to an end. Here, Joel Staniszewski gave us uh, one, two, three, four, five bets last week. He went three and two. We'll go over that, but he's 22, 14 and three on the year. Uh, that's against the spread. That's uh, with uh, money line over under. I mean, this is not just uh, Hey, let's uh, pick the winner here. This is uh, for money. This is for, uh, for reals. And uh, let's just go over the picks last week. Maybe you have an explanation or you want to elaborate. I don't know, but uh, he gave us three bonus picks last week. Titans minus seven over Jacksonville. That was a win. Seahawks minus 13 and a half over the Jets. And despite that fat spread, that was still an easy win. Uh, Chiefs minus seven over the Dolphins. Lost that one by a point. And the plucky Dolphins were, uh, they were a bit of a surprise, but uh, that, that was a spoiler for you. That was a loss. Bill Steelers over was a loss. Um, and the Bills could have scored at the end of the game if they really wanted to. Uh, and we can sure. get into that. I wrote about it, in fact, uh, this week at The Athletic regarding the way the Bills killed off that game. Um, 
almost to the point that I thought the Steelers were begging for the Bills to score. It almost would have been more merciful than just watching the clock, the clock dwindle down without right. a chance to get the ball back. Uh, and then Bills on the money line. That was a winner, but you gave up some value on that uh, going on the money line right. uh, with the favorite. Uh, but still, three wins, two losses, yearly, uh, yearly record right now, 22-14-3. You got to be happy about that. For sure. Um, and our listeners should be happy I, about that if they've been paying attention and actually placing these wagers. Yeah, so I, I did play a couple of those games. I did not play the Chiefs game pregame, um, but when they were down, was it 14 nothing? they were down, or was it 10 nothing early in the game? They were down by a bunch. Um, so I thought, let me just log into my account real quick and see what the money line is now for the Chiefs to win which pregame, I don't even know what it was, $4, $5 favorite. Um, and they were down to a mi- uh, minus $1.60. So I bet them in running and made a little extra money. So it was it's good that I was watching that game and keeping an eye on it and was able to get a little extra. Scratch. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, so the Bills this week, um, I don't know, nothing too fascinating about these numbers. They seem pretty straightforward. The Bills opened as – five-point favorites at Denver. Uh, it is now six points, and you can get it for six and a half at the MGM. Um, let's just stay with that, and then we'll get into the total. Yeah, the line had a little bit of a weird move. Um, as I've mentioned before, as we talked about it last week, the, the Superbook at the Westgate is the best place to, to keep an eye on numbers. They put up numbers right away. They move them with pretty good regularity. A lot of people follow them and will move their lines without even taking a bet just because they see, see their lines move. Um, so the line opened up early, which was on the 8th of December at Bills minus five. But on the 13th, it went down to the Bills minus four um, and has since gone up from there to four and a half, five and a half, six, six and a half for a while, and then back down to six. Um, so it was a pretty interesting move that it came down to four. Um, that, that to me is impressive. It probably came down. I'm not sure of dates. I mean, we're in quarantine. I, I'm living in sweatpants. I don't know the dates. I don't know if it probably came, <laughs> came down, uh, when Denver won, but before Buffalo played would be my guess. Um, and then went back up when the bills won. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of moving around a little bit, uh, total has been moving around. We'll get onto that. I guess now total has been moving around from 48 up to 50, up to 50 and a half now down to 49 and a half. So it's been, it's been moving around. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's interesting. The biggest move to me was the fact that the bills became a four point favorite for a while. Um, and then was bet up pretty quickly, and that is is where it should be. The line the line that I had in my head was six, um, so I did not bet it. I probably will, um, but I, I think for the bill for the Bills themselves, like they know the significance of this game. Denver, uh, sure they want to win, and they're a good team, um, but you know if you look at just quarterback to quarterback uh, stats you're looking at two completely different quarterbacks and Denver can run the ball. Um, but the reason why they're so successful in running the ball, I think is because they do it enough because they don't throw that much. They throw off of the run. Whereas the bills 
pass and then will run off of the pass. So it'll be an interesting game, I think, to see. It'll be a, I think it'll be a fairly close game. Uh, but I, I see the Bills winning this game and, and covering. Okay. Uh, what about the total? What's, uh, what would your advice be on, on that? Uh, so one last note. Um, yeah. Although the Bills are 10-3 and three and the Broncos are 5-8, and eight, they are both 8-5 and five against the spread this year. So Denver is, is outperforming their win total, and the Bills are slightly underperforming their, their wins um, in terms of covering the spread. Um, the, What's the that significance? Is, What's the significance of that to you? If you can elaborate, I, I think the, I would I would probably look a lot deeper into it in terms of when Denver is scoring on these games that they lose, uh, if they're scoring in garbage time to make a backdoor cover, um, or if they're just playing really tight games. I'm not super familiar with them as of right now. I will do some more research uh, into their games and the the scoring and how it comes about. Um, but I think the Bills. Are, are really firing on all cylinders right now. Um, we've seen that. I mean, if you're looking at the, the Bills, sorry, if you're looking at the Broncos versus the Steelers, I mean, the Steelers are, you, you'd, you'd make them a huge favorite, you would think. Um, and the Bills beat them easily. Uh, so they're, they're really clicking. The last, I would say, three or four weeks, the Bills have been really um, playing really, really well on both sides of the ball, on special teams. Um, we have probably the best kick returner on the, on the, in the NFL right now. Um, so we really have the advantage over them. Um, they have a slight advantage, I think, in the run game. But again, I think that's because they run more than we do. Um, it doesn't do a team a we, lot of good when they're, when they're trailing. Exactly, exactly. Um, Bills outperform them in passing, in, in time, uh, time of possession, plays, yards per play, special teams. Um, so I think they really um, are a far better team than Denver. Uh, traveling is traveling is a is a big thing. Altitude is a big thing. Weather is a big thing. Uh, we saw the Bills, although they won and could have easily covered and possibly even gone over, um, the weather did was a a significant factor, especially in the first half of the game. Um, so I think weather is a big thing. I don't, I'd have to look up the weather. I'm sure it's going to be cold and snowy. I don't know what the wind and everything will be quite yet. But I definitely think that that has something to do with, with, with me leaning towards the under of this game. I think under because of weather, because of cold, because of altitude. I also think that the Bills' defense will be uh, really on their game this week like they were last week. So, you know, the Bills' offense can score 30. But if the defense only gives up 14, there's your under. Um, so I definitely think uh, I'm leaning towards the under on this game. Okay. Um, I looked up some, uh, some factoids uh, regarding the Bills being favored on the road because uh, this is the fifth time this year that the Bills will be favored on the road. And how rare is that? Well, uh, very, uh, because they were only favored twice last year on the road zero times in 2018, three times in 2017, two times in 2016, three times in 2015, only one time each in 2014, 2013, 2012, and 2011, zero times in 2010. As you would imagine, that was an awful team. The last time the Bills were favored on the road five times in a season was 1999, 
The last time it was six times, which is going to be, well, maybe you could tell me what you yeah. think is going to happen in New England. Uh, do you think they'll be favored at Foxborough next week? Yeah. Okay, uh, so unless, let's say. Uh, yeah, unless there's catastrophic injuries or if the Bills lock up the division and decide they're going to rest everybody, which I doubt they would, um, the Bills will be a field goal favorite in New England. Okay, so that'll be six times, and uh, the last time that's happened was 1992. So the third consecutive season of going to the Super Bowl, that's how far back you have to go to find out uh, what people thought of the Bills on the road. The confidence, uh, very high. Uh, outside the, the, uh, the program, inside the program, uh, confidence is very high in the Bills, very unusual. But I'll say this. They've only covered while favored on the road this year once. They are one and three uh, against the spread uh, on the road. Um, the only two times, by the way, if you're curious, if you're racking your brain, Arizona and San Francisco, the lone times that the Bills weren't favored on the road, and so they covered both of those. Um, what does that mean to you, Joel, that, uh, that the Bills are, are routinely favored on the road now? Yeah, I, I think it's that the even if you watch uh, any of your football sports television programs, the Bills are getting a lot more recognition than they than they have in the past. Uh, you know, the Bills when they were whatever they were early in the season, for the sake of argument, we'll say five and two, whatever they were at the seven game mark, they still weren't getting the the, the press that they uh, are getting now. I mean, if you watch. Um, was the guy with the annoying voice who has the uh, annoying guy who went to Syracuse who hates the Bills? What? That, I'm not really, uh, not really helping you out. What there. show? Uh, what, what network is uh, this? Uh, shoot, maybe Fox Sports. The annoying guy who has the hot picks every week. Oh Christ! I don't know. I don't pay attention. Nick Nick Wright is the guy who's on there. Nick Wright. Oh, is Nick the guy Wright. That, yeah, I know who you're who talking the about. Bills. I've come across who, him who, once or twice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And whatever, the, uh, what show is he on? Who is he talking with? I, 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 that I don't know because I, it's like I, I just come across him in passing. Uh, well, he's been doing yeah. some stuff with Colin Coward I've seen on. Uh, that, that's him, Colin Coward. Colin okay, Coward so this past they have week. some bet this has, week about social media yeah. about the Bills that the fans are up in arms about. I refuse to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, Colin Coward actually in his power rankings put the Bills at number one. Said that they're better than the Chiefs are right now. I don't know about that. I don't. Yeah, I I, I would uh, beg to differ with his. He's and he's a hot take kind of guy that he wants to. He gets his publicity and his extra press by making these outlandish claims. But I mean, the, the Bills are getting a lot more recognition, uh, you know, from from commentators as well as from from sports books. So as Bills, as Bills fans watch games when they're talking about them on Sunday night and Monday night football, when we played San Francisco, it was all, all they were talking about was the Bills missed a kick in the Super Bowl and the, the 49ers are awesome. Like, that's all they talk about. Whenever we talk about the Bills, it's wide right, Music City Miracle, it's 17 years without being in the playoffs, it's, haven't won the division since 1995, and they're not talking about the Bills now. But when you look at the numbers on the boards uh, at the sports books, they are getting the, the recognition that they deserve because people are taking them a lot more seriously um, in these games. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I mean, I, I just thought it was odd. I decided to look it up before we came on. We probably should have been talking about it last week because that would have been 
Well, no, you got to go back. Um, that was a home game last week, but they've, they've surpassed. You know, you'd have to go back to 1999 to uh, four. I mean, f- when they were at four uh, road games in which they were favored, that was still the first time since 1999. Um, it's been pretty bleak, but um, encouraging, <laughs> encouraging to see that if you're a Bills fan. Sure. But, uh, and they're coming Definitely. through. They're winning these games, and they might not be covering necessarily, but they're winning these games you're getting to the point where you expect them to win these games and it's being reflected in, uh, in the betting. Um, any bonus picks for us this week, Joel? We got a couple. We got a couple. Um, okay. Indianapolis Colts minus seven. Uh, a big, another big, there's a lot of big favorites this week. A lot of big favorites. I uh, stayed away from most of them, but Tennessee minus 11. Uh, I really like that one. I, I mean, I don't want to lay huge, huge numbers, uh, but I, I don't even know exactly where you can get uh, tennis, uh, Tennessee right now. I think it's a big thing with um, Stafford. Is Stafford playing? Who's playing? Who's backing him up? Um, but if, if everything goes as I think, um, Tennessee, and my best bet, we're going to mark this one down twice. This is a double better. Uh, <laughs> the Washington football team, plus six. Uh, at home against Seattle, Washington football team plus six at home hosting the Seahawks. That, that line is about five points too high. Uh, Why do you like that? Because the home team is so heavily favored. Yeah. Yeah. That line is way too inflated. Um, Washington, I think they've won like something like four straight games. Uh, They're a, a fairly solid team offensively and defensively. Uh, we know Seattle has zero defense, uh, so I, I think I like really, really like Washington plus six to this week. All right, so to recap those bets, Indianapolis minus seven against Houston, Tennessee minus 11 against Detroit, Washington plus six against Seattle. All of those are the home teams Joel is going with. Uh, they are hosting each one of those, and he also says take the bills and give the points. Right now it's at minus six and uh, the under, which is somewhere between 49 and 50 uh, yep. and uh, sprinkled, uh, sprinkled a half point here or there, uh, wherever you want to do your shopping, if you can do your shopping. Um, yep. All right, Joel. Well, that's a rather comprehensive look at, uh, at the bills and uh, week 16, sorry, week 15. I don't want it to end uh, too soon. Although there are probably a lot of Bills fans that are ready just to get right to the postseason. Uh, there still are three games left to be played. Um, yeah, I think the Bills, the Bills, if they win out, they still only have like a 3% chance of a, of a first-round bye. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they play out. I mean, one game at a time, obviously. Um, if they win this game, they've, they've locked up the division. They've locked up uh, the playoffs. So it'd be interesting to see what they choose to do uh, when it comes to playing all these starters, full games, half games, uh, you know, resting them for health like they're doing with John Brown this week. Uh, It'd be really interesting to see what they, what they do going forward to, to finish out the season. All right. Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas, giving us his picks uh, for the bills and some bonus. And uh, also, Giving us some tunes 
as he has been at the bumper, you're about to hear the end of everything again and make sure to check out the link uh, that I posted uh, on Twitter. Um, maybe I'll try to do something fancy and embed it in this video somehow. I mean, I'm still picking up video production skills, uh, Joel. Uh, I, this isn't uh, my expertise, but I'm doing what I can to remain relevant in, uh, in 2020. Uh, thanks again for Sounds joining good. us. Thanks.